what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. Over here is Chris. Hello. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing good. Good. I have seen lots of movies, so there's lots to talk about. We are right in the thick of Academy Awards season with nominations having been announced a few weeks ago. Chris, I know you guys did a a Foot Candle first, which may have been a show without me. This is true. Now, I did listen to this show, (laughs) the last show we did, or you guys did. Did okay. I mean, you know. Didn't have me in it, but it was still it was still we, okay. We tried. <laughs> I understand. So we are going to be talking about some movies that are in the uh, uh, Academy Award hunt for Best Picture. Uh, we'll be doing some reviews of those as well as another film that we also had a chance to recently catch up with. So we're going to be doing a series of reviews. Or actually, we're going to have four films we're going to be reviewing along with some news items. And then we're going to close out the episode with our recommendation of the episode. That's a part of the show where Chris and I both feature one film that either we've just recently caught up with, or maybe we revisited and we think is worth recommending to you all as something to check out. But from the review side, that's really where we're going to be spending most of our time today, Chris. We've got four films to review. One will be the German film that was the winner of the uh, Golden Globe's Best Foreign Film, In the Fade. We have The Shape of Water from Mr. Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. Did I say that right? Guillermo. Guillermo. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to let you say that from here on out. Fair enough. Then we have Lady Bird, which is by uh, director and writer Greta Gerwig. And then Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, which we will also be discussing and having some, I think, interesting observations to make. <laughs> so okay. with that, we're going to cover those four movie news and recommendation. That's the show format. Are you ready to get started, Chris? Uh, yes. Are we going to have the drinking game of cinematic vegetables? Or no? <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree. In case you missed it on the last episode, Chris coined a phrase that I'm personally a big fan of now. Cinematic vegetables. Those are the films that we're not terribly excited to want to go see, but we kind of feel like we have to. I think you put Steven Dark. Spielberg's The Post in there at one point, but I, I think uh, you've backtracked on that a little bit. I would backtrack on that, yeah. But you did say that I think Darkest Hour did still fall into that category. Absolutely. Very uh, leafy uh, kale vegetable <laughs> on that one. I think it's a great... I think we need to get that trending on Twitter very, very quickly. So Fair enough. With that, let's move into some ones that I do not feel like are at all cinematic vegetables, especially as we go into our first review, which is the uh, German film Golden Globes winner for Best Foreign Film, in the fade. Yo, 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 welcome by the family Shekhergi. Come hello. Yo. Hello. This is all out. Ich hole es wieder ab. Chris, the description for In the Fade, as I read the summary, is pretty short and sweet. Katya's life collapses after the death of her husband and son in a bomb attack. After a time of mourning and injustice, Katya seeks revenge. Now, if I had read just that description and said, that's the film, that's what we're looking at, I automatically think of several films in my head that I can think of in the last 10, 15 years where a woman 
feeling wronged or feeling uh, somehow something has done wrong to their family or spouse or something goes back on revenge. I think Jodie Foster may have had one a film that she played that role. A couple others I can think of. Okay. Let me just ask you that very short, simple, quick summary of the plot. Do you feel like this film directed and written by uh, uh, Fatih Akin uh, starring uh, Diana Kruger? Do you feel like that summary pretty much encapsulate the film or is there more to the film than what that simple little one sentence description may, 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 may provide there there's, there's more, uh, there's just subtext of the people that were involved. I mean, there, there's a lot of political stuff and very topical things happening today. Basically, um, it's not spoiler cause it happens in the movie. It's early on, you know, the bombing happens. She loses her, her husband and son. And it's neo-Nazis. Yes. And that whole aspect plays a big, and this is happening in Germany, and there's cultures. Her husband was Turkish. Um, so there's a lot of culture clash things going on, you know, dynamics with that. So you know, just a simple synopsis doesn't really kind of communicate it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it does let you know that, I will say, <laughs> to the benefit of the synopsis, does let you know this is going to be kind of heavy. Yeah. And it definitely is a, it's a hard watch just because it's, it's, it's grueling. It's really grueling. Well, it, it is a tough, as you mentioned, you know, of course, uh, as we get into the description more, it does follow breaking into three sections of the film, which was kind of an interesting, I mean, we can talk about that. In yeah. We'll have to talk about that. Okay. Uh, section, the family. Then I believe there was the justice. justice. Then there was the C. Correct. Um, and again, we won't go into too much detail about what those latter sections have to do, but I will say the first section of the film does help explore not only the relationship she had with her family, but then, of course, once that family was taken away from her, some of the ramifications it had on her and other immediate members of her family in that first section. Uh, the middle section really goes into more of a courtroom drama. Right. And then the third section is, we're just going to kind of leave that open, but it does take a little bit of a different direction from the first two altogether. So I understand the nature of building it into three parts, because I do feel like there were three sections of, almost like you you have people who deal with different stages of grief. I do feel like this explored three different phases of how she's dealing with the situation something that, that she went through. I found kind of interesting too, you know, when we were saying three different sections, it's kind of the typical screen goes black, white text come up and it says the family mm-hmm. justice, the C. What was interesting to me was even the placement of those, because actually the first thing that comes up on the screen is the family. And then you see a good little bit and then you finally see after the bombing happens, then you say, then you see in the fade. You don't see the title of the movie. Yeah, the title's good way into the film. It's an interesting mm-hmm. juxtaposition. Normally, you know, you see a title or you may see a little bit of action, but then you see a title. You never see like a partition before you even see the main True. title of the film. It was a little odd. And I think mm-hmm. you'll, you'll have to tell me what you feel like in the fade is kind of referencing um, – but I think everything, which kind of surprised me because you hear that simplistic description that you read, and then you and I have added a little more meat on the bones talking about how it has kind of topical ramifications today with neo-Nazis and that kind of rise of you know, violence and politics dealing mm-hmm. with also immigrants and Turkish people in Germany. You have all these things that are very topical. You see items about in the news, and then... We're looking at the movie, you still there's things that I think 
the more you sit and think about it, you and I've just freshly watched this movie in the past 24 hours, there's more, it, everything's intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having the title come up after that first chapter marker, if you will, I think it's intentional. Mm-hmm. And I think in the fade is just kind of referencing, it's kind of like you have family that is going away and then you're fading to what is going to be That's happening kind of where, what I took where you from are it, now. Is that, you know, the, the, the tragedy happens in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. The rest of the movie is constantly looking backward at that first 15 minutes, either through some uh, home video footage, through stories, through recollections, through emotions. And I do feel like we're getting further and further away from the tragedy as the movie goes on. Her, 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 her decisions on how to deal with it also change the further she gets away from it. So it's almost, and I do think the title has something to do with her action at the end of the film, which we obviously not going to detail with, but what she chooses to do or what she chooses almost to do. And then ultimately does decide to do, I think has to do more of a, she has to remind herself what this is all having to do with what actually started this. And I think that caused her to make a final decision at the end of the film. So I, I can kind of see that translation of being the further they get away from the tragedy, emotions are changing or heightened or, or, or taking a different direction on their actions. Well, and they use some home video yeah. in this and they use two specific instances and they kind of call back to them and there again, it's like you see that and you think it's just, oh, it's her remembering something. And it is her remembering, you know, flashing back to something, remembering mm-hmm. a happier time, family time. But both of those instances and what they are discussing come back into play. It's more than just, oh, here's a what you could say is a sentimental flashback. Mm-hmm. And I can't really get into detail with mm-hmm. that without spoiling how the movie ends. But I think it's just a very thoughtful I think yeah. it was very thoughtful the way the movie's constructed. It's more than mm. just like a revenge tale or more oh, than yeah, a absolutely. thriller. Yeah. Um, something that was I found interesting, too, was we do spend some time. You talked about the justice portion. We spend a lot of time in court. Mm-hmm. And just the simple way the courtroom. Now, I'm, I don't know. I've never been to court in Germany. Um, but just the way the layout of the courtroom yeah. is set up, I'm assuming it's fact. Um, I don't know, but I'm assuming it's fact, and it's just very different from the way American yes. courtrooms are arranged. You have people testifying, but then you have it's like they're out in front of a bench. They're not facing the people, yep. and they can turn they're around and look at the people. Yeah, it's like just, people all talking to them, and, and the courtroom is a much more conversational. It's not as much this side talks for uh, several hours and right. then it flips to the other side. They're, they're interacting with one another. There's actually three parties involved. There's the government filing the, the lawsuit or the actions against the, crim- the people accused of the crime. There's the defendants. And then there's the plaintiffs, which is what she plays the role of. Right. So she's right there with her own lawyer, too. And they're all kind of around this courtroom. And so, you have a panel of, of the judges. I'm assuming judges. Yeah. yeah. So it's not just one judge. It's like a panel of judges. It's just very... Very interesting. interesting. I will say I, I liked the film. I thought it was really well done. I thought I was very happy to see that it did not follow the typical Hollywood path I was expecting it to. Mm-hmm. And that the first half, I thought, oh, my gosh, we're going to get to a point where she is going to have a gun. She's going to go and she's going to try to hunt down these people. And there are elements of that where it starts to skirt with that. But it's a much, much more realistic view of what somebody could possibly do. Um you know, without getting too far to the end, it does take a little more 
a little more turn towards the end. I think Rosh starts to go down that expected path a bit more than maybe I would have liked to see it end with. But overall, I thought it was a much more realistic view of someone not only dealing with real authentic grief. I mean, I really thought Diane Kruger's performance, especially the way she handled someone going through this much grief and anguish, was really, really good. I thought she was incredibly strong in this film. Even if she wasn't speaking, just her facial expressions, mm. how tired she may look. Um, yeah, it just was very effective. Very you can see why yeah. um, Can awarded her best actress That's true. for this film. You can That's see right. why they felt moved to the Well, I, just, I, I, I bought the love she had for her family as very genuine. I thought the scenes that we do see her with her son and, and her husband are very natural. They're very... But you can understand the relationship pretty quickly in just a few scenes they give you. Um, I like the non-Hollywood take on the idea of someone seeking revenge for their family that they've lost. Um, I think there was some interesting cinematography at points, too. Yes, um, A I couple of moments where some really interesting shot selections. that I, uh, There was one in particular during the courtroom scenes, a shot looking down as she's approaching the witness table or, mm-hmm. or desk. Just a, it was a nice, interesting shot. There's one at the very end, actually the last shot of the film, where the camera does a really interesting kind of complete flip motion into the sky and into the water. Yeah, it kind of that, it um, inverts it. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the instead of sky then ocean, it flips. It goes down well. It pans up from a something view on the side of the ocean, and all the way around to all of a sudden now the water raises from the from the top of the scene down. Right. It was just a, interesting. It just, uh, some nice choices, I think, with the camera work to make it just not as traditionally framed and shot. And there are things in the courtroom, um, you know, very, very cognizant of faces. You see Diane Kruger's face in the background, slightly out of focus. And in the foreground is somebody giving testimony about the bombing. And, you know, she is stating facts, but it gets more and more upsetting, oh, the yeah, facts that she is stating. Very tough And scene. you see her, and you see Diane Kruger in the background, and it's just really interesting framing, cam work, and then it was just, like I said, very well plotted out. And yeah, it kind of stood out to me, not your typical mm-hmm. Hollywood blockbuster kind of like shot, reaction shot, shot. Sure. It was, yeah, and there were a lot of long takes and, you know, patience with stuff. Yeah. Well, what did you think of the film? I, I kind of said my opinion. I liked it. I thought it was a good film. Uh, it's a one-timer for me. I don't need to see this one again. It's a it's a tough watch. Oh, yeah. um, but I do think Diane Kruger's performance really just made the film. It would have been a much lesser film if you didn't have that strong performance in there to carry it. But so I, I, I generally liked and, and felt the film was really effective. What do you think? I, I'm, I liked it as well. I think you and I are on the same page. It, it definitely is not one I am eager to return to. Right. <laughs> Um, but I, I would say a second viewing may kind of link in my head a little bit about more why the director made some choices that he made. Okay. Kind of talking with how he divided into sections, mm-hmm. um, reading more into some of her actions and how the flashbacks may have played more of a role. Um, yeah, just – there's there's a lot there. I could see how it could reward a second viewing, but mm-hmm. it's, it, it's a, <laughs> it'd be it's tough, tough to have to do view. it. Yeah. The only thing I'll say, criticism. I mean, although it was a a character that I think provoked some, uh, I hate saying levity because it was certainly not a, a humorous situation. But the defense attorney uh, defending the two neo, uh, neo Nazis that right. uh, in the 
much a little more caricature-ish, a little more of a character that I don't feel like really fit with the rest of the film. And seem a little more, you know, and of course it, it kind of had some moments, I, I hate saying humor, but just people just chuckled at his mannerisms and his his style and his appearance even was a little more just accentuated. It was kind of a little bit, yeah, more than what you would have thought about being kind of on the nose. I mean, yeah. he, he looked like a Nazi. I mean, I guess is basically what it was in some of the yeah. ways he would deliver his arguments. You were just kind of like, okay, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe a little, but you know, not being familiar with the situation in Germany and these things, sure. cases like this have happened. Agreed. There was yeah. some information on the screen at the end of the film, yeah. how many people in recent years have died from attacks like this. So, you know, it seems kind of hyper stylized to you and I, mm-hmm. But maybe in actuality, True. it's how it is. It was just the one element of the film I thought I could felt see a that. little, little bit out of place, a little more heightened uh, characterization well, that didn't work as much for me. Okay, um, didn't okay. I I see what you're saying. I don't think I had as many reservations about that. Okay, um, or I was slightly less bothered me, maybe slightly less. Mm-hmm. Not that it bothered you, but you know what I mean. Sure. Um, but since you bring that up. Mm-hmm. Like a little slight hangout for me, and I'll okay. try to dance around spoilers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but here again, it kind of hard centers on some cinematography and a choice of shots. Um, I will say uh, our Katja, Diane Kruger, she has gone to the beach, and there's a shot where it kind of um, booms up, hands up, and you see her kind of down on the ground, and it's kind of from the perspective of a tree. It's kind mm-hmm. of up in this tree. And some things happen around that, and you think that she's made a decision. Mm-hmm. And then when that decision is second-guessed, I kind of felt like I was being maybe played with a little unfairly. Mm. Okay. Um, like, you know, dang- dangling something and then yeah. ripping it away from you. Sure. But, um, did, I can did, see that. The whole, not, the you, how, did you, how did you feel about I, I, that? I didn't get that same feeling. Okay. I'm even trying to recall exactly the, the moment you're speaking of. I do know that last third, I do feel like it was the most, of all the parts of the film, it was the most traditional revenge film okay. part. And it did ratchet up the tension, which I think was fine. I think it did an okay at balancing that, the tension moments. The entire final third, I thought, was pretty tense. I oh, think, yes. You know, just not yeah. knowing exactly what was getting ready to happen. Sure. Um and I do feel like there was probably, yes, there was some some guiding you down to feel like something was about to happen or something was somebody was going to take an action and they didn't. Um, it didn't bother me, but it just I know that the, the tension was definitely high in that last 15, 20 minutes for sure. Um, and I think it was very intentional. I think that was, uh, again, it never got to the point of it being a gun-toting, you know, revenge-seeking female, you know, right. a very stereotypical. It was not to make this situation – Something like a, you know, a Liam Neeson movie. It wasn't right. to make it no. look cool or to no, make it stylized. Absolutely not. It was very, very realistically done. So, um, didn't bother me. But I could see maybe on another viewing, I'd keep an eye out for that. So, um, overall, I don't have any other really criticism. I thought overall it was a good, fine film. Uh, well done. Probably well deserving. I'm surprised that maybe it didn't fall into the the best picture nomination field for best foreign film. I think it had been on the short list. Yeah. Correct? Germany yeah, had put that. it up there for the short list, but I, didn't make the, I personally think Diane Kruger five. probably could have pulled out even a squeak by nomination for just best actress. Cause I do feel like this is a really strong performance. You know, I have not seen all the best actress nominated performances, but I can think of one or two off the hand that I could easily see swapping Diane Kruger with being pretty happy about that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I say it's worth seeing for her performance alone. 
but also along with that, it is a, a good, good, well-made film as well. Agreed? Yes. Okay, good. Because that's in the fade. It's been out uh, across the other countries since last summer. I think it came to America in the last couple of months, playing very limited release, if at all. But it should be available online, I would have to guess, relatively soon. So I would say this is probably one you'll be able to find in the springtime of 2018, somewhere online for rental or purchase. And we do recommend checking it out. Um, in the fade, uh, starring Diane Kruger and directed by... Uh, Fatih Akin. Fatih Akin. Right. Great. Now let's move on to a couple, some quicker reviews. That was kind of more of our main feature review, but we do have uh, three films that we want to talk about that are all Best Picture nominees that have come in the last couple of months that we haven't had a chance to sit down and review yet. Um, And all three of them, again, nominated for Best Picture along with other awards that they're up for at the Academy Awards. So let's start with the first one. Uh, starring a Miss Sally Hawkins, who has been talked about quite a lot on our show in past episodes mm-hmm. with several films we've reviewed of hers. And the, sh- uh, the film is The Shape of Water. she deaf? Mute, sir. She can hear you. You clean that lab, you get out. This may very well be the most sensitive asset ever to be housed in this facility. You may think that thing looks human. Stands on two legs, right? But we're created in the Lord's image. You don't think that's what the Lord looks like, do you? This creature is intelligent, capable of language, of understanding emotions. So with The Shape of Water, Chris, I, I, I'll just jump right in and say it. I was extremely excited for this film. Okay. Mainly because I love the aesthetic behind it. I love the production value. I love this 1950s kind of a little bit of a throwback science fiction uh, B-movie horror film to it. But couched with a love story with some really good actors. I'm a big Michael Shannon fan. I like Sally Hawkins. I think she's really strong as well. I really like Richard Jenkins. All the pieces were kind of coming together. I'm like, this is going to be good. Sure. And overall, I'll say I thought it was good. I didn't love it. I didn't walk away in love with the film as I hoped to be based on all the stuff I built up in my head. And I can all stem it down to really one core reason why this film just did not work for me as much as it could have. But I will say there were a lot of positives to it that made it, I do think, a Best Picture nominee. And I think it's worthy of being in that category. Sure. I just there was one glaring element to this film that just kept me from loving it. I'll mention it in a little bit, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, how did you feel about this film in general? I, I I liked it as well. I was excited because Guillermo del Toro he always makes visually interesting films. Uh, you and I have both seen Crimson Peak. Yep. Uh, you know we've both seen Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that over the years. Yeah, I wasn't as big on uh, Pacific, Pacific Rim. Rim. <laughs> wasn't as big. But on you that. still have to admire the production value around. What oh, he, sure. The world he was trying to build. And so, so. that's when the you know the the storyline, the plot description. There's a top research facility in the 1960s. A lonely janitor lady, played by Sally Hawkins, strikes up a relationship with this amphibious creature that's being <laughs> held in captivity mm-hmm. against its will. Oh, and by the way, Sally Hawkins is mute. Yes. <laughs> so, that's, that's that um, so, yeah, just kind of like it's like a creature from the Black Lagoon type story mixed with... Kind of a Beauty and the Beast. A Beauty and the Beast the, type you know, story, yeah. All, yeah. And... Uh, and again, that's all the elements that really got me excited for the sure, film. Sure, me too. I think the visuals were stunning. And I, the, the cast. The, oh, the cast, cast is great. Too. The visuals are stunning. It's got this 
a little bit of elements of, you know, metropolis kind of structures and buildings and uh, just a really tapping into 1950s sci-fi vibe with some of the, the actual makeup of the facility that they're in and the, the places where the testing is going on. It's just some really great visual looks to everything. And I loved what they did. Then you flip and go to the main character's home, mm-hmm. her apartment and the apartment of her next door neighbor. And that was a completely different visual style and dynamics to it, which was a nice kind of interplay between those two environments. Um, Since Alan and I, you know, obviously we're cramming a lot of movies in. So disclaimer, we have kind of discussed some of these in the background cause we just, we couldn't bit, hold yes. off. Yeah. And I think our shared, cause I think you and I both like this film, but where we kind of hit the shared, not disappointment, but one thing we'd be like, yeah, they basically had a lot of ideas, which mm-hmm. is awesome, mm-hmm. but they were trying to cram too many storylines, too many threads in. Yeah. And I think, tell me, tell me if I'm missing any. No, no, no. You're exactly we have, right. We have the storyline of, of course, Eliza and the, and the fish man, the yes. Anthony man. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's one. Then we have her coworker, who's played by Octavia Spencer. She's obviously African American. We have that thread of, you know, civil rights and mm-hmm. a woman's place in the workplace, an African American woman in her place. relationship with her husband. Okay, and, yep. you know, just a lot of that going on with her. So we have we have that. Yep. So then we, okay. Then we have Michael Stuhlbarg, who plays somebody who's a a doctor in the lab, a researcher, yeah, a researcher. Mm-hmm. And he has some backstory going mm-hmm. on with him. He ends up kind of helping her a little bit, but is conflicted. So we have his kind of storyline thread and things that are going sure. on to have some Cold War um, aspects of the Cold War stuff going on with that. Okay. Then you also mentioned Michael Shannon, who mm-hmm. we both like a lot. He gets to play the villain. Yeah. Um, but there's things going on with his domestic life mm-hmm. and family life. So, Oh, and oh, there's I've, one more. I've, I've forgotten Jenkins. about Richard Jenkins, who yeah. plays the neighbor of Eliza Sally yeah. Hawkins' character. Kind and of a he, career uh, issues he's facing, and career also, issues yeah. that he's facing, and also um, his sexuality, his sexuality, and, yeah. and love life, yeah, right, and the time period that that and how mm-hmm. that's a challenge for him. Okay, <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot going on. Yep, and all of those storylines you have said very interesting, but the shame of it is, it just makes. For it makes t- it's too much. Everything is is so slightly touched on, like so f- t- slightly fleshed out. Right. No one storyline is given a lot of breathing room to really grow and become interesting for me. I I agree. I wrote down in my notes like many many great characters and many great potential subplots, just too many to actually put into one film and make anything really meaningful. And and with the detriment being, the main thing yes. we think we're supposed to be focusing on is Eliza the janitor and Fishman. Fishman and their relationship. <laughs> and their relationship. Which I agree, I thought was the skimpiest part of the film, unfortunately. And that's why so many of the beats later in the film, especially a speech that Sally Hawkins, uh, Eliza gives, that I think is an extremely well done speech she gives mm-hmm. to Richard Jenkins. But you still walk away from it saying, yeah, it was a great performance of a speech, but I didn't feel anything because I don't feel like this relationship between her and this creature ever got you, anywhere yeah there's no out. you see initial meeting you see a few exchanges but not enough to like really build i never once bought that those two actually had any connection right and for the rest of the film to really hit me emotionally i have to buy into that i don't 
I actually bought into the realism of more of these subplots around yeah. it than I did the the core story. So I agree. If they could have scaled back some of the characters and some of the subplots and focused a lot more time on developing the two, the core relationship, I think the ending scenes would have been so much more powerful and dramatic than they were. As it is now, it's a beautiful film to look at. It's a beautifully made film. There are some fascinating, interesting characters there. Just they're not, they're not utilized to the full capacity. And unfortunately they're all taking us away from this core relationship. We should really be focusing on and learning more about. And we just don't. So yeah, I'm that's what keeps it from being agreeing. a great movie in my mind. It's a very good movie, and I think for the aesthetics alone, it's worth the nomination. But I do feel like the emotional impact of the story was really uh, it's just really less impactful than it should have been. Sure. Okay. Shape of Water, still recommend to check it out, but uh, just uh, be warned that Chris and I do have some uh, some misgivings. We think things that hold it back uh, are pretty significant. And I think because the look of it, the production design, the costumes, all that stuff – if you are interested in seeing it, probably oh, try absolutely. to see it in the theater because seeing it on a big screen does add a lot. I will so. say the opening credits uh, sequence is kind of an underwater fantasy sequence. Uh, very well done. Yeah. So uh, I, it had me set in a really good mood for the film when it started. Um, all right. That's The Shape of Water. Let's move on to our second one. Another Best Picture nominee that we have not had a chance to speak about, the two of us. And that is by actress, but also now officially filmmaker, director, and writer, Greta Gerwig, the film is Lady Bird. We're afraid that we will never escape our past. Whatever we give you, it's never enough. It's never enough. It is enough. We're afraid of what the future will bring. We're afraid we won't be loved. You can't do anything unless you're the center of attention. We won't be liked and we won't succeed. I want you to be the very best version of yourself that you can be. What if this is the best version? So Chris, with Lady Bird, we have Greta Gerwig, who is an actress that we've followed and seen in many movies before. Uh, she's a great actress on her own, but this is her first time directing a film. She's co-written films with her husband before and been involved in other production work. But this is the first time as a true director. Standalone. And standalone, and standalone writer of a full film. Right. Lady Bird uh, stars uh, Saoirse Ronan as someone who... Is Lady Bird McPherson is the name she goes by, but you could pretty much say is a stand-in for Greta Gerwig when she was growing up and in this same time period. Laurie Metcalf as her mother, Marion. Tracy Letts as her father, Larry. And then you've got several other uh, characters. Can I go ahead and say for the record, Lucas Hedges, I believe he may be the independent film prince of 2017-18. He was in Manchester by the Sea. He's in Lady Bird. He's in Three Billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. He is the independent film prince right now. I'm he, crowning him that. Okay. But the guy that's like lurking in the shadows well, who's trying to take over is the other one in the Timothy film. Chalamet, Timothy Chalamet. Who's also the main, one of the main leads in Call Me By Your Name. That's right. So, Timothy Chalamet is trying to unseat Lucas Hedges totally as an independent is. film prince totally. uh, for this year. But a lot of great characters, a lot of great actors. Um, I will say with this film, Chris, just my initial reaction is I think this is a very good movie. And I think it's entertaining and I think it's well-made and I think it has some interesting family dynamics it talks about. Did I feel like it was best picture nominee? Um, I'm happy it's squeezed in there sure. just because I think it's good. I think we need to have more female representation and directors and, and in the best picture field. 
but was it a terribly strong movie? I felt like it was a little more slight than I think a lot of critics are giving it the notice for. Again, I enjoyed it. I think it probably speaks to maybe other demographics and audiences more than it did me. This is a film that's kind of like the films we've had throughout the decades, like a Say Anything, like a film that just kind of hits certain generations and certain demographics of people a certain way, and it just really connects with them. It didn't connect with me as much, but I don't want that to be any slight to the film. It just it didn't speak to me as directly as I think it did a lot of other critics and audiences. Um, But I do feel like it was a good, good film. Very well made, very well acted. Um, I just didn't have the takeaway love for it in connection to it that I think a lot of others do. Well, and I... I saw Lady Bird late in the game. Okay. And, I did too. you know, expectations, the big yeah, cloud, the tough. devil of expectations. So I'd been, you know, heard all the good things about, oh, you know, a lot of critics were hailing it. And so when I finally saw it, I was kind of on the same page with you. I like it. But one of the things I think I can kind of narrow it down to, I know Greta Gerwig from things like Francis Ha, you know, funnier um, Mistress America, both films, which I really like. I think I've actually recommended to some of my choices here on the show. And so this had comedic elements in it, but it wasn't as funny as I thought a Greta Gerwig written and directed movie would be. Mm -hmm. It still had some funny elements, but it was more focusing on the relationship between Lady Bird and her mom played by Laurie Metcalf, which was very well, explored and examined but it's a tough relationship Mm -hmm. so the movie was a little bit heavier in that respect than i thought than i than i expected i thought it'd be a comedy that would kind of be it'd be more of a coming of age with you know kind of a rough mom thrown Mm -hmm. in but no the rough mom and her the relationship with the mom is basically the central yes for me the central thing of the whole film it is um and so yeah, it made it not as much of a coming of age, but, uh, you know, dealing with a rough mom where you and her don't see eye to eye. Still interesting. But, yeah, I, I kind of struggled with it a little bit because of expectations. And it wasn't as funny as I wanted it to be, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, the lack of uh, a lot of deep comedy didn't bother me. It had some really great, funny moments. It did. And I think overall it was a good uh, – if they call it a branded a comedy, I wouldn't call it a comedy. It's no. just – you know, it's definitely more on the drama than it is comedy. Uh, that didn't bother me as much. I, I think it's just, again, it was a, I'll tell you what, probably if I had to pull away my criticism, that thing that just maybe left me after watching the film, just not feeling a real connection with it as much as I thought. I do feel like the last 15 minutes or so, there's a lot of skipping in time. There's a lot of things moving forward. It feels kind of rushed. And rush, I felt maybe? it really rushed in that last okay. 15 minutes where I felt like the first hour, hour 15 were so deliberate and we just really getting to know the family, getting to know the dynamics, getting to know her as a character. Then that last 15 minutes, it was like, boom, boom, boom. Things are happening and things are moving forward. And it just, it didn't build that connection with me that I felt like, I actually felt like I had a deeper connection earlier in the film. And by the end, I'd lost a little bit of it. I felt like I didn't know these characters as much anymore because things were happening much quicker. Things were happening really fast. Again, I'm saying on the record, I think it's a very, very good movie. And I, I think, I mean, amazing that it's a directorial debut from someone who's been historically known as an actress. Um, it's great, out, great outcome of first, uh, first, first directorial debut like that. Just, uh, I, I thought Saoirse Ronan was good. I thought she was, well, everybody acted fine. Laurie Metcalf's getting a lot of attention for the mom. I think she was really good in that role. I, I think Laurie Metcalf was really good. And if anything, that was something else that kind of surprised me. Not that 
yeah, Saoirse Ronan was good, but she was to me so overshadowed by the performance of Laurie Metcalf. Not that you, but it was like, and I guess that's the point. The mom overshadows the daughter. You see how yeah. there, there's a lot of friction sure. there, but I was so, I guess, distracted by how good Laurie Metcalf's performance was mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that I that's couldn't, true. I couldn't really pay attention to the performance that Sir Sharonin was giving. I'll, I'll tell you that. I know Laurie Metcalf is getting a lot of attention and got nominated for her performance, but I, I'm, I'm disappointed. People are kind of overlooking the father. Hmm, Tracy, Tracy Letts, I thought yeah. was so good in this. Well, it's just screen Such time. An underplayed, get, yeah. yeah, less screen play, screen time. And it's also a very underplayed role. He's sure. not the loud, boisterous, you know, opinionated guy. But he's a really good character, and just I, I love the moments he was on the screen in this film, sure. especially following him on a career situation, which was both humorous and just devastating at the same time to watch him go through. Yeah. Um, but yet still keeping a very good spirit about himself. It was just a really, a really nice character to have in the film. I liked him a lot. Uh, and then I mentioned Lucas Hedges as kind of one of the two boys that she has a relationship with during the course of the film. And then we get Mr. Timothy Chalamet, as you mentioned, as the other one. Both of them, I, I thought, were fine and good. I think they're both great young talents that we're going to see in a lot more movies going forward. Well, I'd, you know, I was singing the praises of Laurie Metcalf and just kind of dissing Saoirse Ronan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I will say, when I look back on the moment of the film, that unlike the opening scene riding in the car that was spoiled by the trailer that I wish I hadn't seen. Yeah, um, but tough. G- great scene, but spoiled by the trailer. Something that I wasn't expecting that was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And it involves Saoirse Ronan and Lucas Hedges. Kind of my favorite scene of the movie that I look back and that's what kind of elevated it for me just saying, oh yeah, it was okay. I was like, okay, that's a special moment in this film, mm-hmm. but I haven't really seen something like that before. It was really good. They, um, she's working at a cafe and he comes to talk to her mm-hmm. and they have a moment where they kind of have this discussion, um, after they've had some rocky relationship or their relationship's mm-hmm. been a little rocky oh, and yeah. he got, and that moment I was like, okay, yeah, that's about. like an original voice of Greta yes. Gerwig writing this scene. They're performing it completely believable, may have gotten a little dusty in the theater. Yep. Um, so that, that, that was just a really solid. I, I agree with you on that. That was a good standout scene as well. So. So Lady Bird, I, I liked it. That was good. I know there's a lot of people and some critics who just really love the film, and that's great. I can totally see why you would. I have no real criticisms other than I wish that fit last 15, 20 minutes was not so quickly paced and didn't feel like I was skipping through so many important steps in this character development. Sure. Um, but otherwise, that was a very good movie. Uh, I think it definitely speaks to a generation. It definitely speaks to a uh yeah, a, a portion of our population that this, they can just really relate to her experiences and the time period and everything else. Uh, I think it's a good film. Very, very good. I'm happy to see it on the slate of best pictures. Uh, sure. Do I think it will win? No, probably not. But am I happy to see it up there? Absolutely. I think it's a good representation um, for this style of filmmaking. So great. All right. So that's three of the four we're going to review. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do the fourth review, which is three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Then we're going to do some quick news items and our recommendation for the episode. So stay tuned to Foot Candle Films. We'll be right back in just a moment. Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create Storytime Station at The Mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. 
So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.TV. I'm Angela Hayes' mother. So, Mildred Hayes, why did you put up these billboards? My daughter Angela was murdered seven months ago. It seems to me the police department is too busy torturing black folks to solve actual crime. What the hell is this? Dixon, I'm in the middle of my damn Easter dinner. Sorry, kids. I know, Chief, but I think we got kind of a problem. Sunshine beating on a good time. I'd do anything to catch your daughter's killer. I don't think those billboards is very fair. Three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Kind of a... Quite the title. Quite the title. <laughs> but it is uh, written and directed by Martin McDonough. Uh, we have spoken about Mr. McDonough before because In Bruges was a film that you and I both really liked yes. years ago when it came out. Um, I know he did another film in between. And Seven Psychopaths? I never saw that one. Okay. So not familiar with his second film or the, the film that followed, but In Bruges... It was really one I connected with and enjoyed. In Bruges was a film that had a very dark sense of comedy to it, had some very troubling moments and some, some violent moments, but it also had this undercurrent of comedy. I kind of look at it when I watched Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, that it was taking that same formula and amplifying it even more, just this dark comedy (laughs) i mean it's just and it's still kind of listed in a lot of places as a comedy and yes it does have some humorous moments and humorous characters but the darkness has definitely been amped up even more so uh from from his first film that i was familiar with so chris i'd love to get your thoughts on this film because there's a lot of divisiveness out there about this film right Uh, it is nominated for a lot of awards but yeah there's also a lot of people saying you know, they just really don't care for this movie and the way it tries to balance this tone of comedy and grim darkness to it. And I'm just curious, how, how did you do with this whole balance of this film? It, I can totally see people and see their complaints and understand why they would say tone was all over the place. And you can't have moments of comedy and then switch to something that's just really dark and upsetting or even sometimes characters within the same scene. Frances McDormand plays, you know, her daughter has been raped and murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, she before has, the film even before starts. Before the film even yeah. starts. Uh, she has an abusive husband who she's no longer with. Uh, there is a scene where she's making jokes and they're, you know, kind of confrontational. And then they shift and they're sharing sadness over their daughter having died. And then they mm-hmm. go right back to – it's just – there are a lot of it's like you're constantly changing shifting gears in your car or shifting gears for the movie to move yeah. forward or back jarring yes um but i think once i sat with it after the movie was over even though it doesn't seem realistic it actually i guess for me seemed realistic that mm. life is not as simple as having one tone and maintaining sure it enough. and sometimes movies have tones that are all over the place and they don't work yeah. um but this one for me i felt like was intentionally jarring on purpose. Mm-hmm. And so the shifts in tone worked. Um, was the humor troubling sometimes? Mm-hmm. Yes. Often, I think it was meant to be. Often it was. Yeah. But I agree. I think yeah. it was meant to be. And he wanted you to, the, the Martin McDonough, the director, writer, I think he, he wanted, I, w- I think he intended it that way. So, Well, I, I, I was 
fine with this film. Uh, I, I didn't love it. I think there were some parts, some elements to it that just didn't work as well for me, but okay. it wasn't the tone. It wasn't the, the shifting of, 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 of themes. Okay. I, the way I looked at this, I think the thing that gave me more, more appreciation for this film is if I stood back and looked at it more as almost like a, almost like a Southern Gothic tra- tapestry of different interesting characters and their lives intertwined. I actually think that, uh, I actually think the main storyline, Francis McDormand as Mildred, who put up these three billboards with messages basically to the local police, basically He's indicting Woody, them, yeah, Woody condemning the them chief. for not doing more about her her wife, her daughter's murder. That's our quote main story, but yet I actually think that storyline probably got the least amount of development for me. It was all these other interesting characters around the side. So if I step back and look at the film more as a this gothic comedy slash tragedy of these characters in their intertwining lives. That to me is entertaining. That's interesting. That's Mm -hmm. the way I looked at it. And I got a lot of kind of satisfaction from the film. Gotcha. But I do feel like Mildred's storyline herself was probably the least developed and least interesting after a while, because I got any, we have a lot of interesting side characters. I feel like, uh, Caleb Landry Jones, who plays red Welby, who owns the advertising company that put up the billboard. There's a whole little little path for him there, or a little, little storyline with him. You've got Sam Relkwell as Dixon, one of the police officers. He's got his own little storyline. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, Woody Harrelson as Willoughby, the, the, the sheriff, and his storyline. Um, you know, it's it, it just there's all these interesting little stories going on with these interesting characters. Yes, Mildred's story kind of is the hub. But there are all these interesting spokes. And I, I, if I look at it more as this tapestry of characters and how their interactions affect one another, I'm much more satisfied with the film. If I'm looking at it as a mother who's trying to get attention and trying to build a case about her daughter's murder, it wasn't as effective to me. See, so It's interesting because the way you're describing it in my mind, what's kind of being set up is it's kind of a mashup between Shape of Water and In the Fade. Mm-hmm. In the fade, you have the the mother who is with revenge, which mirrors Mildred and Three Billboards. Yes. Then you have all the character thread problems that were mm-hmm. in Shape of Water yeah. that are kind of here and Three Billboards. The difference for me is I see what you're saying, but it, it all worked beautifully for me. Because really? if it had been just Mildred, it wouldn't have been interesting. No, and I wasn't looking for it to be just and, her. Right. Yeah. But um, I think there was just enough of Mildred for me and then the other characters weaving in made it unique. It just, it really gelled and worked as a whole. And like, like you're saying a Southern Gothic tragedy or, and it was like, it was written by Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. You have the main Mildred character, but then you have all these other characters that come in and play. And it just somehow, I think the, from the very outset, you see that she's been on revenge Mm -hmm. and you kind of see what that does to her and kind of, what good comes out of trying to seek revenge. And it's like, and I think the other thing that's tough for people is in this film, you feel sorry for Mildred, but she's not a nice person. She's Mm -hmm. very bitter. She has moments where she is tender towards certain people. You know, she, she does Mm -hmm. have some redemptive moments or scenes that she's just, you're not, she's like a horrible person, but she is so embittered and so overcome by frustration with things not being done about her daughter, which you can understand, but at some point it's just really, I don't know. And seeing people work through that, um, Sam Rockwell's character with racism and kind of some other stuff that's Mm -hmm. going on with him. Yeah. There's somehow just 
the amounts and the weaving together did work for did me. Did work for you? Okay. Yeah. I, I, I kind of summed this film up as, to me, it was many, many fascinating, interesting characters, these smaller pieces together when I rolled it up together into a film, it, it, it wasn't the sum of its individual parts. It was, mm-hmm. it kind of lost something as a total film, even though I thoroughly enjoyed some of the characters in the film mm-hmm. and wanted to like flesh out their storylines more. Uh, but I get it. If I look at it more of this uh, whole idea of how one thing, one situation has these ripple effects on different characters and the impacts in the way their choices all impact one another. If I look at kind of that Shakespeare uh, gothic tragedy way, I find it more interesting. But it's just uh, something about the film just didn't roll up to me as like a, a film that I feel like universally worked on its own as a whole. Hmm. It was just a combination of a lot of really interesting parts. So huh. um, there are some questions I will have to ask you off can- off the mic because they are more spoilerly driven. But a couple points, plot points I'm – Still wrestling with that I don't feel like made as much sense. Just where the movie ends, um, that for me, it's I feel like my interpretation of it without there again dancing around spoilers, mm. not going to try to ruin it for anybody. But I feel I feel like it's hopeful. Um, no, I do, and too. I think, but it's ambiguous, and yes. that to me make that to me how it ended. I really liked how it ended. I did too, and that made me kind of you know I I liked it. I. Uh, there's been a lot of talk in a lot of the critics I've read that didn't like the film, hmm. did not buy a shift in a character that happens towards the end of the film, probably in the last third of the film. And I know exactly what they're talking about. Of course, you know, I'm not going to say which character it is, but a certain character that we are led to believe is a certain way for a majority of the film does have some change in the way they are either helping or not helping the situation towards the end. And a lot of people say it's just a, it's really an artificial shift and change. I didn't believe that at all. I actually felt like the shift was very much warranted. I did too. From two or three key things that happened right before this person goes through this change. Um, well, a, a letter he reads. I'm just going to leave some, it at that. There's some, there's a, there's some, you know, there are some surprises that happened that I was not expecting in this film and we're not going to ruin. Sure. But one that happens pretty early on. Or about maybe midway through. Midway through, um, has a huge impact on it. Does this and there's basically there are three billboards, but I believe there are also three letters, and um, the yep, letters that are right. read in the film there are that, and they're addressed obviously to some different people. Um, those convinced me of what needed for for things to happen the way mm-hmm. they happened, and for yeah. me to get the feeling. To make the movie end the way it did, those letters are very important, and yeah. they convinced me. I, I agree. Um, that one of the letters and then the actions immediately after that letter, yes. I, I totally bought how this character changed sure. and bought that it was authentic. Didn't feel like it was artificial just to get the movie to its end point. So uh, overall, I liked the movie more than I expected to because I think I'd been reading so much of the, the pushback from it. Yeah, I was kind of expecting not to like this, but I actually really did. I do feel like it's not as good a solid film as the individual interesting parts it makes up. Of, it's made up of. But that being said, it's still worth a really interesting watch. And I think the characters are really fascinating characters. I like the interplay. I didn't have a problem with the humor and the, the darkness balancing between them. I felt like that was very uh, well handled 
And I think it is always kind of keeping you on your edge. That's probably the way I felt during the whole film is never quite knew what to expect in the very next scene, whether it was dialogue or whether it was an actual action taking place. There were a lot of surprises in where the film decided to go or, or the way it handled certain situations. Yeah. So good. So we're, we're all positive on all the films we reviewed. Some a little yeah. more than others. Yeah, I think I'm a little higher on three billboards than you are. I You're a little higher just... on that. Uh, I, you and I are about the same on Lady Bird. And I think Shape of Water. Shape of Water about the same. I, I think, may be a little higher than on In the Fade than I you think are. you are. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> but That's overall, it. same page. Hey, so. We've got four really positive films that we're reviewing here and, and sharing with you. That being said, Chris, before I go to the news item, okay, because we do have news we're going to cover here for a second. I was not here for the Oscar dialogue discussion that you and our guest host, Mayor Margaret Baker, had. But given that now you've seen, I've seen more of the films than yes. you did when you review, when you talked about the Academy Awards, we're just going to do one, one category, and that's Best Picture. Okay. Based on what you've seen now, what is your preference? Which one do you think deserves of the films you've seen Best Picture? Because I think you've probably seen all but maybe one or two of them. Um, as of all now, but one. As of now, I've seen all of them. Oh, that's right. As of last night, you did. <laughs> so now you can accurately tell me of the nine okay, so films, are you saying which one's your if favorite. If I could make something win, what yes, would I make? No, not win? a one that you think is going to win. I want to know which one you want to see win. Which one do you think should be named Best Picture if you had your way? Okay, we're going to flip this. Okay. Because after I give the answer to that, we're going to move on from this topic and not discuss anything anymore because it will. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know yeah. where you're going. So with it's going to kind of spoil oh, things. Um, okay, so, that's fine. So who do, I, who do I think? Will win the Oscar for Best Picture. Um, I think I it's. It. I think it's probably a. T- I think it's. I think it's probably up there with either Three Billboards or Shape of Water. That's the two. I think um, it's between. And I really, I think it'll probably be Three Billboards. I think um, it will be too, just because it's a more important film. If you want to argue that way, I, I don't necessarily see it that way and there's the whole got a lot of support from golden globe so and it's just uh i think it's driven by francis mcdormand's acting which we didn't even really talk about but i thought she was fine i i I didn't think i know she'll probably win best actress (laughs) that's fine i think she's just it's playing a uh, cranky curmudgeon very distraught which she's upset she's done it before she's got it nailed down she knows that performance seeing her interviews i kind of think that's how she is like naturally (laughs) so do I want to see her win? I'm fine with her winning, but I do think there's probably some other more interesting performances out there that I would have liked to have seen win. Um, sure. So. so you're talking about best actress. I'm like Margot Robbie, but <laughs> I like Margot Robbie a lot in I, Tanya. Yeah. We never talked about I, Tanya either. As a movie. No. Yes, I do feel that way. So, okay. so you're saying three do billboards I, or shape of water you think will win. Will win. Now who, if I could pick, what would I want to win? Believe it or not, you know, a period piece, probably phantom thread. And now we have to move on. <laughs> well, this is going to spoil our future conversation about this film, but I am absolutely with you on that. We're, we're so. hoping to try to review, do kind of a more in-depth review of So now, now you know pretty much that our review of Phantom Thread is just going to be gushing positives gushing. between the two of us. So go ahead and be prepared for that to look <laughs> right. forward to that in the future. I'm with you. I, I do think, unfortunately, the one film we, one of the ones we haven't talked about is the one that I would love to see win. It will not win. I don't think so. But... I do believe it's deserving because I think it's the best film they've put out this year. So, okay. That being said, let's uh, move on to news. Okay. We're going to get away from reviews. Let's talk about future projects. Let's talk about things kind of happening down the road here. Um, and Chris, I, I just got to do this because we just talked through four 
relatively smaller budget independent films. We got our fix of that for the, like the last 45 minutes. Right. So let me switch it to some pop culture. Blockbuster news. Blockbuster okay. superhero stuff. Can I do that for sure. just a few minutes? Um, all right. Let's talk about our beloved DC Universe films. Okay. And I say that sarcastically. Uh, <laughs> we haven't been a big fan of what they've been doing in that in that area. Uh, big we talked the, about. I'm a big fan of a lot of the characters. Just the movies. Just for one, some reason. Wonder Woman's the only one that's worked. Right. We both liked Wonder Woman. So uh, this DC extended universe idea, where they're going to be doing all these films about these standalone stories of characters in this shared universe, kind of using different people to play them and different directors, and just trying to do something a little more interesting. The Joker has always come up as the one that everybody says we're going to make a Joker movie. We want a Joker origin movie. Do I think that's a good idea? Eh, I don't know. Probably not. (laughs) But do you know who they've got eyed right now to play? Or have you read this? I I just saw it, I believe, last night. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix? Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, I think he's Mm. a good actor. Um, For me, he's an interesting choice. Yes, Um, I completely agree. Not at all. I mean, even looking at it from a physicality standpoint, I don't see it. But um, I think he can play crazy and mopey or like depressive and kind of scary. I think he can do that. But, you know, the Joker, you know, I think of, you know, not being funny as in haha, but, you know, just telling Joe like crazy, yeah. not the Riddler style, but just, I don't know, it's something about it. I don't see. It's almost like it, it, it might be even going even kind of in a more darker position than even the Heath Ledger version in a way, which right. I think the Heath Ledger version is about as dark and less jokey as you want to go with this character. Sure. I'd, I'd love to see kind of bringing the character back a little more to its more classic roots style wise. Um, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix was not one I would have picked. No. Um, so I've been hearing him for Joker. And then they've also talked about Jake Gyllenhaal being Batman at some point whenever uh, Ben Affleck finally admits that, yes, he's not <laughs> yes, going to do, no do, I'm this. Not do <laughs> this anymore. So huh. I still want John Hamm. And if I had to pick a Joker, I I personally think a Tom Hiddleston would be really good if you really wanted to pick somebody that's got an interesting – If they let him out of his contract over with Marvel, he'd be interesting. You know, somebody I think would be really good, especially for a standalone movie. Sure. But I think a lot of people are done with him, and he hasn't done anything in a really long time. But he could definitely get the humor part of it, Mm -hmm. and he's definitely dark. Jim Carrey. I think he could. I think Jim Carrey could pull off a really interesting Joker. And he Joker could put like robot. an origin story of this guy who's kind of weird and kind of yeah. has emo- like emotional problems or whatever. But you're right that he's – I think he's older now and I don't know if he could pull off pull an off. origin right, younger right. Joker starting up. Right. What about an Adam Driver? Oh, yeah, maybe. See, I could see an Adam Driver pulling it off. Hmm. Um, I'm all for them doing something creative with these characters. They need to do something different than they've been doing these last few films. So I'm all for that. I just I thought Joaquin Phoenix was a very interesting choice. So there, are they going to continue? You say there's an expanded universe versus, I guess, the universe. I so, don't, I don't so know. So will they continue to do like a storyline that has Jared Leto still playing the Joker, but these expanded ones are some – like – I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I think they're grabbing at straws. I really do. They just know we have these stories. Let's yeah. somehow try to get one way that tells them that works. We're trying to find a hit. Okay. We got one with Wonder Woman. So what can we do that's maybe you know similar to that or maybe try something different? I don't know. Huh. It's just this whole – the whole path they've been following has not been working. So with that you know, so far. Here's, here's what I'm going to say. Yep. <laughs> okay, DC, listen up. This is our – this is Foot Candle's advice. So 
why don't you take the path of we only do single superhero movies and we don't do any of that like just ditch the justice league forget it it's not working for you don't try to do the video and just do single superheroes now i'm not to say you can't have a cameo to help you promote the next single superhero movie that may be coming out just do single superhero movies Mm -hmm. I think they're just too late to the game. That's yeah. what their thinking is. I'm Maybe. not with you. I'm fine with that approach. But I think they're looking at back at Marvel's success. And like Marvel had years where they built up their they characters did. before they did their team. Uh, DC is saying, oh, we got to play catch up. And so they tried to expedite things as quickly as possible. And uh, it's just yeah. not working. It's not working, so, guys. But maybe, maybe – Maybe going the single route, starting with Joker. Maybe that's maybe that's what they need to do. Could be. Uh, Todd Haynes is the director. Tom's not, not Todd Haynes. That I'm would sorry. be. <laughs> that would be awesome. okay. Todd Phillips. Sorry, okay. Todd Phillips, not Todd Haynes. Todd Haynes' Joker film would be fascinating with Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. Yeah. yeah, but Todd Phillips, who I believe he did like Road Trip and stuff. like I, that. I think he did uh, The Hangover. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he's done like some broad comedies right. and also. Yeah, so we'll see. He also, I think the last film he did was a film called, uh, was it uh, War Dogs? Yeah, War Dogs with Jonah Hill. And I never saw right, it. I, I didn't either. Yeah. Okay. All right, huh. let's move on. Uh, you got a story for us? Yes. So, you know, there again, we're talking big news with blockbusters. So we'd mentioned, we're going to have to talk about Star Wars, I guess. But uh, Ryan Johnson, they've already said, okay, we're going to give you three films. They're not going to have anything to do with this whole Luke Skywalker arc that these nine have had to do with. Yep. It be totally separate. We're going to give you three films. Well, it was just announced recently that the guys who are the producers and writers of the TV show Game of Thrones, not George R. R. Martin, but the right. producers the that were actually showrunners, you have the, the series, they have been commissioned to say we want you to also do some star wars films <laughs> they haven't said release date wise are these going to be before ryan johnson's or after how many but they didn't say it was like it was kind of a hint that maybe it's going to be three as well but just interesting that they've already attached these guys to kind of helm and they said not a tv series but actual movies they did want these guys doing movies so, so are we talking that there's going to be two more trilogies completely separate Storylines, conceivably, yeah, separate from the ones we've been following so far. That's what it seems to be. Kind of, kind of crazy that they're. You know, I thought you know, three with Ryan Johnson. That's probably good enough. Like, Mm -hmm. then they add these on. I'm like, whoa. And I don't know if they did this as just kind of trying to soothe people who maybe weren't as crazy about the Last Jedi and thought people changed too much. I'm just worried that they're maybe spreading themselves a little too thin. Could be with the care with this this universe. you know, you've already got these solo individual films, solo and a film <laughs> called Solo. Right. These individual films coming out, and now you've got two different trilogies going out. Granted, I know the Star Wars universe is huge. You could have any number of characters and plot lines and styles to it. It's just under this giant umbrella of Star Wars. Like basically anything in space that happens in this galaxy far, far away a long time ago. <laughs> right. um, so you have a big playground to play in. That's cool. It's just, I, I just hope they're. Yeah, I think right now getting two Star Wars films a year is probably even a little maybe much. You know, we're going to get we're going to get Solo in just two or three months, right? And Last Jedi was just in December, right? Uh, it's so interesting. Not, not two in one calendar year, but it's two within. Well, if Solo less had been on apart, schedule, yeah. I think it, it was supposed to be done earlier. I think okay. it got delayed, so I think you know. There was a chance it would have been two in the same calendar year if Solo had come out on schedule. Gotcha. So I just I don't know. <laughs> I seen the preview for Solo. 
Right. I'm curious how that's going to be. I have my reservations. <laughs> I can't say that our boy um, Alden. Alden Ehrenreich. Or yes. Yeah. I can't say that he bowled me over with even his quick performance in the trailer. So we'll see. I'm, I'm really waiting to see. I'm skeptical on this one. Yeah. Okay. You, Plus Mr. Ron Howard. Uh, just the safety choice, you know, so. I, I missed the trailer at the Super Bowl, but then uh, you mentioned it to me. I went back and watched it, but you'd warned me of your reservations. Mm-hmm. Eh, I mean, it's a trailer. I mean, did he bowl me over with the bit that he had to do in the trailer? No, but. I, I just didn't know. get it any didn't sense really of charm. Me. I didn't get any sense of charm from him. And that's the whole thing. Han Solo has to be a charming rascal, you know. I just didn't pick that up. So, I'm. Um, Again, I'm not going to judge a film off just solely the trailer. Sure. I, 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 I'm pretty good at waiting to see the film. If anything, it's lowered my expectations. That's probably Which a good is thing. a good I can thing. Go in with right. a little Absolutely. more of a fresh conscience on it. So, All right. So that's uh, Star Wars news. We had to have the obligatory Star Wars update. <laughs> um, the last thing, only because there again, I'm just going to keep us in pop culture comic books for just one more news item. Then we can go back to our indie world. You know, another Garfield films. movie? No. <laughs> no. Um, we have the Star Wars uh, Super up uh, the which which character am I talking about? Was it Star Wars Superman? No, it's Spider Man. Spider Spider Man film earlier in the summer, which we both really liked. It was a good superhero film as a standalone film, right? Uh, better than I think you probably expected it to be, and I generally liked it and came came <laughs> with some pretty high expectations for it. So Sony Pictures technically was the one who made the film, but they had a partnership with Marvel. To where Marvel was basically going to be treated as a Marvel film, but Sony still distributed it. Gotcha. Sony still owns the rights to Spider-Man in his universe. Okay. So Sony is this doing must some be films. so confusing it for is. the lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> Sony is doing a series of films that are Spider-Man character films that may or may not actually have Spider-Man in them. Okay. Which I think is odd. It's an odd choice. Um, so the first know, of those I think I know where the, coming sorry. out is Venom. Yes. Venom yeah. has a movie that's a Star Wars arch enemy in the comics and we also saw him in Spider-Man 3 with Sam Raimi. Uh, not very successfully in that movie. So there's going to be a standalone Venom movie starring Tom Hardy. Yes, which I like Tom Hardy. It's also got Michelle Williams. Yeah. Really good actress in there too. Uh, and it's being directed by uh, the guy who did uh, Zombieland. Um, can't remember his name offhand. Yeah, Ruben, Ruben something. Something. Yeah. Sorry. I know who you're talking about. Yep. Um, they put out a trailer for it yesterday. And it's interesting. The trailer is a very, it's a very serious film. It's a kind of a dark film. And we never see Venom one time in it, like as a character, which I'm perfectly okay with. I, I want us to get back I mean, to the it, days. It is a teaser. It is a teaser trailer. I kind of want to get back to the days of Jaws where I don't want to see the shark until build up the anticipa- anticipation for it. I think we have gotten away from that kind of mentality with films going for just pure spectacle and just kind of dr- drive people into the theater. I'd rather have a little more mystique and intrigue around it. So I'm fine with not seeing a lot of the, the details yet. How about if you don't see Venom as the character until the last five minutes of the movie. Would you be fine with that? Mm, I need more than five minutes. <laughs> I mean, maybe give like the last 30 minutes. I'll be fine okay. with it, but just build up something. So I'm curious again. I, I don't know how you make characters like this work without the main character that made them happen. He's going to fight him being in just there. a bunch of police. <laughs> yeah. Is he just going to be kind of an anti-hero and kind of fighting crime on his own? I don't know. So 
I'm put it in the solely in the curiosity pile for me. I'm not saying I'm looking forward to it, but I also don't think it's necessarily a disaster yet. I'm 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 very very curious of where this is going to go project wise. Well, I was all excited about Suicide Squad because <laughs> for some reason growing up, I you know Batman was my favorite comic book character, but I actually liked the bad guys better than the good guys because they usually were more interesting. Yeah. Um, so I was really excited for Suicide Squad. We all know how that turned out. Yeah. I have to admit, I'm pretty excited about Venom. Just Are because you? I like... Just Tom Hardy. I'm, yeah. I'm more excited about Venom than I was about Homecoming coming out. Okay, now, I liked cool. Homecoming as a movie, but I just think there's potential. The, the excitement I had to try to explore a creation of a bad guy with like Suicide Squad and like put them all together, I'm hoping maybe Marvel can get it right. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. DC kind of messed up. Let's see if Marvel can take... Uh, Bad hey, guy that's story an interesting arc. take on it. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Well, I'm not it, looking forward to and, it yet, but I'm just curious how it's going to go. Here's the other thing. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about DC and the Joker. I've seen so many origin stories of the Joker. I don't know how that could be interesting for me, just because. Mm-hmm. And I, you yeah. know, I read the, Venom. I'm not as familiar with sure. his origin. I mean, it's like a meteorite and stuff like that. But other than that, I'm not really familiar with it. Yeah. You so, don't want to get me on a on a. <laughs> Tear to give you the origin because there's no way they could translate the the real origin into this movie. Oh, really? None. Huh. Absolutely no way. Okay. So they're going to have to come up with a modified version of the origin, no matter what. Just no way. Okay. So interesting challenge, yes. I guess. Okay, so that's our news for the episode, Chris. We need to go ahead and bring it on home with our recommendations. Okay. This is where Chris and I both share one film that either we caught up with recently or maybe feel like. Might have been overlooked, or maybe it's just worth going back in time to check out and uh, recommend it for our listeners. Chris, what have you got for us today? Okay. You set it up as a recommendation, but I'm actually going to have two. Okay. Okay. And the reason, there's a very specific reason. Okay. Okay. Um, Alan, how much do you know about National Lampoon? (laughs) I know that there was a movie that just came out on Netflix about it, and you watched it. That's and I it. liked it. <laughs> and you liked it. I did. And I know they did Animal House and Vacation. That's about the extent of my knowledge of National okay. Lampoon. Then I'm going to recommend yes. that you see, and listeners, if you know just as much as Alan does, yeah. that I'm going to recommend you see A Futile and Stupid Gesture, which did just come out on okay. Netflix 2018, mm-hmm. exclusive yes. film to them. It was at Sundance this year and then went straight to Netflix. I'm going to recommend that movie. Okay. I liked it. thought it was funny. I liked it. Domino Gleason's in it. Will Forte plays Domino Gleason and Will Forte play two of the main characters in the movie. Okay. Has a lot of cameos. Um, if you're Domino, a fan of Domino Gleason, I mean, he, he's in a couple films every once in a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. That right. Everywhere. Okay. Um, if you like Saturday night live, mm-hmm. then you would also be interested in watching this as well. Cause Good. it has some history. Model. Okay. Now that being said, if you're like, yes, Chris, I know about national lampoon. Mm-hmm. I know that, the original people um, was Doug Kenny was the guy who started. Now, if you know the names of the people who started the National Lampoon, I did not. Okay, good. good. Then, like you said, you watch a few don't stupid Duster. I'm good. Now, for those out there who you you're saying, yeah, yeah, I already mm-hmm. know all this stuff. Okay, then I would recommend for you a documentary that came out in 2015 called "Drunk, Stoned, Brilliant, and Dead," mm-hmm. um, kind of the origin of the National Lampoon. Ah. If, um, I, th- I would recommend that for you. Okay. Um, I will not go into detail why I'm saying, but if you, and then what I did is I watched Feudal and Stupid Gesture, saw a bunch of blowback online about people getting really cranky about it. And then I watched a documentary and I'm glad I watched it that way. 
So you're oh. saying the, the, the dramatization comedy first, then the documentary. Correct. Is the pathway I should take to watch these. That's the pathway for you. For other people out there, if you know a lot about it already, then maybe you want to watch a documentary or maybe you want to skip it. You definitely want to skip Fatal, Futile and Stupid Gesture. I think you'll be really wow. upset. Wow. Um, but it's a really interesting, uh, really interesting comparison between the two. But anyways. Okay. Well, you got me really curious now. Yeah. I've seen the film promoted on Netflix, but... Until I saw that you had logged it. As and you like Will Forte, I think. I do, yeah. Yeah. And I like I love sketch comedy. I love, you know, the art of creating comedies. So, yes, I'm looking forward to it. I'll have to watch it. Okay. I even watch it this weekend. Okay. You know, who knows? Great. Okay, so you've got two recommendations. I've just got one. I well, to the one rules. depending on... Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. It's like a twist of plot. You know, choose your own adventure choose plot. Choose your own path. If okay. you are on this path, go see this one. If not, go see this one. Right. Um, mine's pretty pretty straightforward. And I am going to mark it completely now as a guilty pleasure. Oh, Um, I saw this while I was traveling. It's a film I had meant to catch up with, mainly because of my reaction to this director's latest film that you and I reviewed several months ago. Okay. uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Ah. We we talked about the film Split. We had our review of it. Okay. I had never seen The Visit, which is the film he did before Split. It was the one that was kind of considered a little bit of his return to form, you mm-hmm. know, kind of a very low budget, had a twist at the end type of deal to it. It's kind of found footagey. Yes, exactly. And um, I watched it, was not expecting to really enjoy it, and actually found myself kind of digging it on a <laughs> guilty pleasure kind of way. Sure. Um, it's not a great film, but I do think the surprises are well-earned. Okay. Uh, I will admit that I was caught off guard at times. Okay. Um, it had enough creepiness to it where it was not a full-blown horror. I mean, I never felt terror from it. Sure. Um, I will say the ending several minutes are pretty heavy, traumatic-wise. Actually, the point I'm surprised they even got a PG-13 rating for some of the end scenes. Sure. Um, but I, I was overall pleasantly surprised with how it was a – well built up tension, uh, you know, a suspense movie did have some interesting reveals that I didn't expect. Sure. And overall, I thought it was a good film. So I'm going to put that in my guilty, guilty pleasure box. Okay. Um, I'm not saying it should have won any awards. It shouldn't have, you know, gotten a lot of higher acclaim. It's just, I do think if you're into that kind of film and you were a fan of, of Shyamalan's early work and you kind of wish you want to see him kind of get back into it. After that happening, you decide to write him off. Exactly. (laughs) I do think between this and Split, he's he's kind of inching his way back up a little bit. And I'm kind of actually now generally curious to see what he does next with the uh, Glass movie. So I'm actually sure. kind of excited about that. So that's The Visit. Um, doesn't really have any big names in it. Um, I know that the uh, uh, Catherine Hahn is the mother. It has a small part. Uh, but really it's two young actors and then two older actors uh, playing their parts, and they're really the four key key components. Just all I'll say is the the plot line: two siblings uh, become really concerned about their grandparents' behavior while visiting them on vacation. That's it, and it's all done in a found not found footage because it's 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 home camcorder shot. The young girl is a aspiring documentary filmmaker, right. so she is documenting this whole visit, and that's the footage we're watching of the film. So. The Visit uh, from 2015, I believe. Yeah, 2015. So that is our, our recommendations. Chris had a pair for you, depending on your prior knowledge of the subject. <laughs> That's right. Mine is just, you know, get a, get a bag of popcorn and just uh, 
kind of watch a, a good guilty pleasure film. Fair enough. And, of course, we had all of our reviews in the fade, Shape of Water, Lady Bird, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, positive reviews for all four. Yes. Uh, I'd say of the four, probably my favorite of the four. I will say I was it's between in the fade and three billboards. Okay. I'm kind of split between those two. And then I think Shape of Water and Lady Bird are both kind of tied for kind of close second and third positions on those. Uh, but overall, very good reviews. I mean, sure. uh, you agree? You, I think three billboards is probably your three favorite. three billboards is probably my favorite. Okay. Yeah. All, All right. were good, but I think if I had to choose one, that'd Great. be it. Good deal then. Well, we will be back with another episode where we'll probably be wrapping up a little bit of uh, the films from 2017. We may be discussing Phantom Thread. We may be discussing a couple others. Uh, at some point, Chris, we are going to have to kind of just throw it out there. What's our favorite films of 2017? And okay. like our one least favorite film. <laughs> That's kind of keeping with that tradition. Sure. We'll probably have to do that before we get too deep into 2018. But okay. you and I are still catching up on some films from we 17, as are. I'm sure most of our audience is too, because a lot of them came out in very limited release late in the year. So, all right. Well, with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. This has been a production of The Mesh, which you can find us more about this podcast network on TheMesh.tv. So you can find all of our back episodes. You can also listen to uh, our episodes current or past online through a website, or you can download any of the episodes for your own player of choice, whether it's a phone, whether it's a tablet, whether it's a laptop, you can subscribe and listen to all the podcasts and get all the episodes downloaded on demand as you wish. And then if Chris, we have some people who want to chime in with their thoughts or ask some questions, how might they go about doing so? Send us an email at info at the TV and just mention Foot Candle Films in the subject line. Tell us how we were wrong about Lady Bird and it is the greatest movie of 2017. Or you can, you know, mention any other movie you want us to review. Um, that's probably the best way. Alan and I also have accounts on Letterboxd where we kind of every now and then post a review or just mention some other movies that may end up being one of the ones we recommend. Um, so you can follow us on Letterboxd as well. Um, we do have our film festival, which will be coming up September 28th through the 30th. We are um, accepting submissions right now, so you can go to footcandlefilmfestival.com, and that's where you can you know, enter submissions if you would like to be considered for our film festival, if you are an aspiring filmmaker. Absolutely. We're looking forward to that coming up later this year. Thank you so much for uh, listening. We appreciate uh, your, your, your downloading the episode and giving it a listen. We'd love to hear some feedback from you. And if nothing else, we'll definitely talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.